welcome to another episode of the Chasing the Dragon Gaming Podcast. Okay, that peaked. That's fine, though. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Andres. I'm Sebastian. Our special guest, coming, returning for the third time. Yeah, focus on special. Yes. A uh, unique individual. Very good. So, what, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today's discussion is about metagaming off the, and off-the-table discussions during gaming. And how it can affect the gameplay and uh, what we think about that. So we have kind of like a two-part conversation planned here. Um, the first part, Andres, you're going to lead the conversation. The second part, I'm going to lead. So why don't you get going with the first part there? Sure. So um, what I want to discuss is how do things like negotiation and almost off-the-table t- off kind of like feelings and situations affect the gameplay? And an example I want to bring up is how many times have you ever played like any kind of like attacking kind of like war game or strategy game in which two people like, well, it's not in the design, two people to say like, hey, if you don't attack me this turn, I won't attack you next turn. Or I think we need to do this to take out to do to we need to take care of Ryan right now, because if we don't, he's going to get this and he's going to win the game. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend becomes a situation in this game. Another example I want to bring up is in Risk Legacy, for those of you who listen to our Risk Legacy episodes. There were several situations in which uh, Ryan and I consciously made efforts to make sure Donya couldn't win because we were afraid of him having extra missiles for the next game, thinking, oh, no, he's gonna, he's gonna, he can be able to run away with this because if he keeps writing his name on the board, he's going to get extra missiles. And so we were like, we really can't afford that to happen because he's already leading with missiles. So we made the deal, the, nego- the deal that, like, okay... This game, it's like, well, you're already the closest to winning, so I'm just going to help you do that. Or uh, when Anacodin showed up, we did the same thing. It's like, well, Anacodin, in like in two turns, you can do this. And, and that way, Ryan, you just keep Daniel at bay to make sure he doesn't steal that missile for us. And how does that affect the game? I feel like in many situations, it's not actually part of the design. And I don't want to say it breaks the game, but I can understand how it could be, how a lot of people can be frustrated with that when there's, when people are perhaps making a choice and decision that may not be the best for the actual game and for themselves, but they're making it due to an outside influence. I don't want Danya to get this missile next turn game. I don't want Ryan to capture this mountain. I don't want this to happen to this, you know. But I think you're talking about two different things here. One is within one game and one is across games. And so I, I would say if you're going to talk about metagame, that means uh, a conversation that is existing across games games from one game to the other like the risk mm-hmm. legacy mm-hmm. example you gave which was um so i think if you're saying oh we don't want someone to get to reach this mountain and, and take this because then they're going to win the game that's just like thinking strategically within that specific game mm-hmm. if you're saying well <clears throat> let's say daniel has won two games in a row mm-hmm. and we don't want him to win a third game in a row mm-hmm. that's metagame that's thinking about us playing this over like a longer period of time mm-hmm. um and, but I, I think, but I, I think that the, this kind of strategic negotiation within the game, that's what makes a lot of these games so so much fun to play. Mm-hmm. And over time too, like I think, if I think it would be incredibly boring to win every single game, mm-hmm. and that's why it's it's fun to have like, oh, I win every 
four games or something or three, every three or four games or like there's there's like I'll go through a streak of win like the three or four games in a row and then I'll go like months without winning another game mm. and that's fun because it's it, it you, in in your head in my head at least I create I have like this narrative that's that's going on but I the risk legacy example that I really find to be not quite metagaming but but really more it's actually a game function mm. uh, with the missile example at mm. least that uh, it, the game has incorporated the if somebody wins a lot of times the rest of the guys will gang up on that person mm. and that's not in in itself metagaming that's just seeing that if this person wins again they will have a greater opportunity to winning again and again and again and for the game in total that would be it would be better to gang up on that person then so you think in, in this example in the risk legacy example the designer actually looked and thought well since we're going to be doing this campaign mode and it is this kind of game where a lot of people remember the grudges that it would be a good idea to have a mechanic that would force people to like gang up on the person that has been winning too much. Like, almost the force, like in, in a way that there's always a runaway leader in certain games. This is like the runaway leader in the campaign. That, that was exactly my thought because uh, Risk especially, Risk and Monopoly are those games that can really build rivalries, uh, especially when you play it over and over again. If you have Risk as your standard go-to game you will subconsciously build grudges mm. like oh he's taking america again i won't allow that mm. again yeah, that happened to me twice. it's kind of like uh france and germany over like centuries <laughs> you know <laughs> going back and forth uh it, it is kind of like that where you you see it as like over the generations so it's it's not the same people right you know over 300 years or something but it's like there's something in the kind of national psyche that is saying like, let's get the Prussians because remember 200 years ago? Well, no, I don't remember, but you know, we heard stories and we're really angry. Then what about a game like, let's say like Spartacus? Spartacus is all about negotiating and building alliances and then betraying them. Now, if you play with the same group of people again, you might have a grudge, but in this sense, there is no like mechanic like the missiles where there's a reason to really like hold that grudge. Realistically, you know, like let's say this: we play a game of Spartacus. Sebastian, you just totally screw me over, and you like decapitate my gladiator in the middle of uh, of what what could have been what should have been my victory, and that was he he was my best champion, and like you and you ended up just, just screwing him over, and then I'm just like really pissed off about it. And the next game we play mechanically there's no reason for me to still be upset with you but maybe a grudge might persist or maybe i would be less trustworthy of you because i think oh you know what last time last time he he did this so i'm gonna go with ryan here this turn and then ryan does the same thing so fuck him but but that that could uh, maybe to improve that example it would be like you played risk Spot legacy and then and now you are angry at something that someone did and now you're playing spartacus so you're playing an, even a different game and then those those kind of grudges or revenge can can carry over between games and uh, also knowing people's like weaknesses <laughs> across games like well this guy usually do, does this kind of 
action if we're talking about risk he usually maybe pushes too far sometimes or if Spartacus he usually betrays and if that carries over if the, the betray uh, idea carries over to risk legacy then you can form the alliances that uh, legacy is kind of incorporating and if the push too far knowledge goes over to Spartacus then you know that yeah he's gonna he's his fighter is gonna be maybe overextending his his uh, influence over the rest of the players he might do something stupid and I I'm just waiting for that moment now that I feel is more akin to the metagaming than the uh, missile example yeah I agree so so now I, I agree. Do you do you agree? I do. Sorry, I shouldn't nod on a radio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but but look, okay. So so now we've kind of. I think we've defined this pretty well. This this type of metagaming. Now, what what does everyone think about that? How how does that? Uh, do you try to avoid that, or do you think, oh, this really makes things really more exciting? I think it depends on the situation. I think sometimes it could be like, oh, well, come, like, well, for example, if someone's mistrustworthy in something, and I'm the one on the receiving end, I'm like, oh, come on, I didn't. That was that was last time. We're doing something new. But at the same time, I think it also adds a certain tension, something like, at an outside level to the game that the designer couldn't think, the designer didn't think of initially for the game, and it adds some something else. Another, it adds another layer, which makes it a little bit funner for me. That really depends on the game for me. True. Uh, if I'm playing D and really don't want the the outside influences to show through because we're different people in a different world. If I'm playing, say Risk, I that can a grudge can really spice up the game. Uh, so I agree that yes, that can be actually a bonus to the game. For me, the important thing is that it creates a sort of balance within a gaming group or within within a, a group, of, if, especially if, if, if the same group is of people are playing over years or something. Um, hopefully it will create a, a balance. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and so that can make it really a lot, a lot more fun. Where maybe some people win certain games more, but, but, then, but then the other people win the other games more. Or there's streaks that go on all the time. And... and, and I think that's nice, and and to have a history is fun, can be fun too, and so that's that's I like that I like that history, but I agree with you, Sebastian, saying that this will go into my part later on the part two, uh, this this kind of off off game off the table discussions, um, or when it when it influences the game too much and it it just kind of takes it over, yeah. for me it's it's not it kind of takes away but what we've been talking here i don't think does that and and i like that so so andres you you had um your you wanted to talk about your owl bears all right fine well i wanted to quickly mention this another example of something that i that i thought of when i thought of this discussion is uh, we played D D for many 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 years growing up for you know my formative years in high school and then into community college and stuff like that and uh my friend my best friend oldest friend in the world um he bought a fuck ton of uh, 
official like Wizards of the Coast D&D miniatures and off like his first paycheck when he had like his first job like at a cafe or something like that and then we had all these miniatures to help to help with like the game you know and like we would like have see these miniatures and have them around with sometimes he build little sets and like little dioramas and stuff like that when he was obsessed with the miniatures for a while and there was one in particular that he absolutely fell in love with and none of us could understand why he even repaint he even repainted it because he wanted to make it look even better he wanted to make it look really much better the you know Wizards of the Coast painting is not that great and it was this owlbear miniature now i don't know why but this man became obsessed with this owlbear and throughout the entire history of our campaign from uh, from him owning the owlbear until i left for sweden that owlbear appeared as much as he possibly could in situations where it made absolutely no sense i'm talking about being like in a gigantic gothic castle someone steps on the wrong stone and all of a sudden an owlbear pops through the window uh, being uh, at sea in a pirate theme adventure and all of a sudden there's an abandoned ship that looks like it's almost crashed we go up to go look at it and there's an owlbear on, on the ship this owlbear would appear in so many situations and it wasn't in any way of a joke for him he just really loved the owlbear he loved the stats he loved the history he, loved, he just fucking wanted this owlbear there and at some point uh, we got really fed up with the owlbear, and we're, it, we just thought it was a bad joke, but to him it wasn't a joke. He wanted the owlbear. So we looked up to see what was the exact perfect defeat and way to really trump the owlbear every single time with only a matter of seconds. And after we actually implemented that on him, he more or less felt a little discouraged. and like, oh, okay, never mind. You guys broke the, you broke my owlbear. I'm like, no, we didn't. Your owlbear shouldn't be in the desert, okay? <laughs> like, uh, and... Um, and so the owlbear was gone for the longest time. And then the night before, well, the last D&D session before, before I left for Stockholm was probably maybe like two or three days before I actually left. And on that last session, as we're entering in a mummy's tomb, what, what appears out of the tomb? The owlbear. Yeah. Did you kill it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's a really good example of a gaming group and you can especially do that in role-playing of course because role-playing has a story because you have characters that that build a history together and and i th i think you know i wouldn't have been so upset about this owlbear showing up all the time because you're you're creating a history uh together as a group and the story just becomes comes alive much it's a much more full fuller story that than yeah. than if you just Every adventure is like a new adventure and no one thinks about if you create a new character every adventure and it's just a, a, a printed module and you're just going yeah. through the room, room to room killing monsters. And that's it. That's not what role playing is about. And so I think that's a, that's a great example of of uh, that. This is like a unique story to your your friends. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice. I can actually give an example, uh, very recent example uh, at the uh, bookstore, uh, they have the, 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 the science fiction book on them. Uh, they have the D and D encounters, and uh, I played there. Uh, the last session, <laughs> uh, we were going to infiltrate as stealthily as a dwarf in plate armor can be <laughs> a dragon cult. Now. I, I consciously went over and over again like okay what would what would Gil do what would guild rock seeker do what uh, it's not what I would do mm -hmm. I would have done something different but what would he have done 
and that led to his demise <laughs> in that very session. <laughs> uh, but it was a, uh, it was again, it was it was what he would have done. And if I had played along with the rest of the the guys there and just thought, okay, how can I get out of this alive? Rather than what would I do as this character? No, th- this character isn't thinking about uh, getting out alive. He's gonna stand and and keep the guards busy until the rest of the guys get out. That's what he's gonna do. And if that kills him, that's it. If I I I had information as a player, I had information that would have gotten him in him out. I could have climbed the rope out, but. He wouldn't. I mean, I think with with role playing, that's it's difficult to maintain that. Yeah. That being in this headspace of your character. It is for me. For me, I I I don't know what it is about me, but maybe it's also because like throughout my like, our D and D adventures, I was we would rotate between DM and we would rotate between players. You know, like one story arc was this DM, one story arc was this DM, and so maybe because of that, learning like the kind of the behind the scenes stuff after a while. I, when I when I was back to a player, I would really try to number crunch a lot in my head. I would go like, "Well, this should trump this. This should be, you know, this and this. Well, then maybe we should do this." And 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 in, and in reality, you know, my character wasn't that smart, and he doesn't and he didn't have access to that information. But like in the back of my head, I'm like, "Right, AC this, you know, you know, HP this, you know." Like I, I knew exactly what it would what it would be because we were encountering the same monster. And again, my character shouldn't have known that. So like it was really hard for me to, for me personally, to sometimes let go and really get in. I would do as much as I could, but like you know, I could also still number crunch quite a bit. Yeah, but I think that that is uh, kind of inherent in the. mechanics of the D&D world Mm. and the game itself Mm. so it's it's but I uh, from what I've heard the the fifth edition moves away from that some somewhat I was looking at a bit and it looked like it does which is which is promising I think it it moves away from the number crunching bit yes and uh, they take back the idea of hit dice for monsters as well so if I may I think we can move into the part two of the discussion, because this is really a bridge between the, the topics. So maybe I can I can define kind of my ideas uh, related to this topic, which are three different levels of conversation or uh, part uh, levels of the gaming experience. And the first is everything that's in the game. So let's say you're talking about, um, oh, I'm going to move here, I'm going to do this, or my character is going to do this. Um, you could be talking about the mechanics, you can be talking about the story, you can talk about the characters or whatever you're doing. Um, so that's that's like in-game, that's talking directly about the game. Then there's on the table, which is more related to the social experience of playing the game, which is pass the chips, please. I mean, potato chips, not necessarily <laughs> chips, uh, pieces. But um, Or what music should we play? Or I have to go to the bathroom. Um, Ryan's favorite phrase. Well, I did just drink a lot of water, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's the, but that's all still related to your activity of what you're doing here. Then the third level is what I call off table, which is something like, um, what did, did you watch the TV show last night? Or oh, my grandma said something crazy last night, you know, at dinner, um, you wouldn't believe it. So those, those are, th- or like also bringing in references from pop culture for, for me that, that aren't related to 
the kind of genre that you're playing, I would say. Mm. Um, and two examples I, I have of this, which I think are pretty, pretty good examples, is in the TV show Big Bang Theory, they're playing D&D in two episodes that I can remember. And in one, the character's goal was to rescue Santa Claus. And um, I remember cringing at seeing that. I was like, if, this, if, if a DM ever did this for me, I would be like, and I know there's actually been modules written where Santa Claus and figures like that come into it. But I, I, it really, it's just something that I have absolutely no... Tolerance for? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, uh, for me, it just ruins, ruins the experience. And then they also had um, one of the, uh, the DM, Howard, when he was DMing, he uh, did celebrity impression, impressions. Uh, so Nicolas Cage was like this wise old tree telling them where to go. And then Christopher Walken was the dragon that they killed at the end. And did these, and yeah, his, impres his impressions are good and they're funny. So I think it's funny as part of the show and it works as part of the show. But if, if that happened in a D&D campaign with me, I'd be a little disappointed. I love impressions when people do it, but not of celebrities. So you're saying the next time that you're D you're playing a game and an indie does an impression of something, you're just gonna like s just punch him across the face. But indie does really great impressions, yeah, he but he doesn't. <laughs> but he does it like like accents and stuff like that. It's it, it as long as it's not of like a, f a famous celebrity or something that brings in pop culture into it. So what are what do you think about this? Um, these different levels and where, where do you draw the line? How do you create a balance? Cause you can never, I mean, I'm not saying to like hundred percent avoid any off, off table conversation because I think it should be a balance because you're people and your friends and it should be a social experience and that's all part of it too. But I'm saying like maybe like 70 or 80% of the, of the conversation should not be off table, right? It should be about the game or what you're doing or like, you know, well, I mean, maybe the off-table conversation can actually almost be like a gauge of how someone is really interested in the game. You know, like, let's say, for example, if uh, Viniculture, you know that one game? Did you play that one the other day? I haven't played it, but I know it. You, but you played something in that same, li the same designer made like wine-based games. What was the other one you played? You remember? Okay, I don't remember. Anyways, it, these like really deep, heady Euro games and stuff like that. For me, if I was sitting at a table and then Sebastian's here, I might, you know, because of just lack of interest, start then talking to Sebastian about something else, going like, hey, did you hear about this book announcement? Or did you hear about the, tra did you see the Star Wars trailer? You know, or something like that. But, but, and, and, and then for Ryan, that's like, since he's totally into it and it breaks his like perception and it breaks like the fourth wall of the game, he's just like, I don't, don't do that. And, but or as opposed to like, let's say a game like Roombound, Roombound I really, really enjoy. And I won't be spending as much time talking to like Sebastian or Ryan going like, did you see the Star Wars trailer? Although I still will mention it because it's a Star Wars trailer. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, almost, I think I think maybe it's almost like a gauge for the person and for like almost the group of like, OK, you know, last time Magnus did nothing but talk about his My Little Pony collection or something. So maybe that game wasn't the best game for him because it didn't catch his interest or attention. Uh, maybe I don't know. It's just something that just kind of popped into my head right now because I don't think it's possible to like eliminate all like outside talk, except maybe in a LARP, you know, because you're really for or like in, if you really go with really character acting based role playing games. But like in board games, especially, I don't think it's really possible because you know there's all those times where you're you know you're waiting for your turn and there's like a break or a pause in a bit, you know, because maybe some or I, I, someone needs to go to the bathroom, so they go, they'll be back, and, you know, what are we going to do? Should we, we can discuss the strategy as much as we can or discuss the game as much as possible. But then maybe at some point it's just like, oh, well, yeah, again, did you see the Star Wars trailer? Seriously, guys, 
No? Yeah, I saw it. It, was, it. it looks really promising, much better than the, the other crap that was released in the recent years. <laughs> I have not seen the Star Wars trailer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I tried to keep out of it just until until the final trailer is, is released. I, I but uh, I think actually we need the off-table discussions uh, as well as the on-table mm. discussions uh, because it's it's a social experience. And if you're not being social, mm. <laughs> uh, it's not it's not. If really you're not being social, then you're playing a euro. <laughs> Possibly, but if you're not if you're not social as well as into the game, mm. uh, I don't think that would be a good experience. And uh, mm. I don't. I wonder what you think about that. Well, well, that's why I did say actually, and now I'd never said that that should be eliminated. I said that it should be like balance. Yeah, a balance. So my balance is like seventy to eighty percent, keeping it kind of about the game or about you know the your friends in the room together so it could that includes the on the table conversations like i said like are are you going to go get something to eat or things like that you know so but so what is a good balance for for all of you i think uh, 7 to 80 it sounds high but then when you think about it maybe like a game of a game of like that's like 2 hours long 80% means that we're probably only talking about stuff like 20 minutes or so of something that's not game related nah, that seems fair actually i'd say mm. like if we're but if we're playing like a bigger longer game that takes like you know six to ten hours maybe i don't know i, I don't then it's I, too much yeah then it's then it's too much in the game space i think yeah. perhaps because if we're playing like a really long slow like war game like world in flames or something we're playing something like that then like i feel like the off the table discussion is severely needed just to like get through it not that it's an ordeal but just that like you know where you, you you're in that zone in that space for so long that it's, it just needs breaks you know but here's the thing that frustrates me is that it, it, that's a good example because a longer game for me i think you should really 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 um, try to keep focus on the game and so i still think you keep to that 70 to 80 percent because you know 70 80 percent it's percentage so the longer the game is, there'd still be that much more time spent talking off table, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's frustrating when it's when a game is already long. That um, if I have downtime, and in those longer games, there's generally can be quite a bit of long, uh, a long amount of downtime. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that people are not just. It's it's. I think it's great, and I like to talk to people about other things, especially if there's a lot, a lot of downtime. But it's also important that. When you're having downtime, you are still a part of the game. And, and some games involve players better in the game while they have downtime. Or they do, th a lot of games in the last five, 10 years have really tried to reduce downtime by having like everyone does their action phase first and then they do this phase. And instead of like everyone takes their whole turn, right? Mm -hmm. But like Fortune and Glory. Yeah, exactly, exactly, like Fortune and Glory. Does um, what does Such an Evil do the same or no? Or is that more slightly old-school turn-based? That's more turn-based, but the turns are, are really quick. Okay. Um, but everyone takes their turn, and then, like, the evil takes their turn. Mm -hmm. But as opposed to, like, then maybe like, you're thinking, like, something like Fortune and Glory, where we all roll movement, and we all do movement, and then we all do encounters in order, and then we all do this in the initiative in order. But, w but one thing that I think people should really pay attention to is that if it comes back to your turn mm -hmm. and you are like oh wait 
oh, and then you just start to look at what's going on in the game, that's a problem. Because then that's what takes so long. That's what makes those long games Even doubled, double the length. Mm -hmm. And that's when it, people get really frustrated. And so I think it's really good to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, for me, even when I'm, so I can kind of multitask like that. I can be engaged in these off table conversations while I'm also like keeping one eye on the board, seeing what's happening, looking at my cards, thinking about, okay, I'm gonna do this on my next turn. Now that might change based on what other people do, but I feel like this is my plan and I know. And so one thing that gets, that I feel frustrated quite often is like we, I played Eldritch Horror uh, last week mm -hmm. and it took us like three hours. So it's kind of like average, it was five players too. So it's actually pretty good length, I think. It was like an hour to set up and learn the rules. Some of it, like I had played like only half a time. Um, but I felt like the whole, and this even does that kind of fortune and glory style of where everyone does their moves and then you resolve encounters like every, uh, instead of all doing it once on your turn. So it should move pretty quick, but for some reason, I, I think five players is too much for that game. But um, it felt like for me that I looked at my cards and in about uh, 10 seconds, I was like, well, it's obvious that I'm gonna do this no matter what happens next turn. Mm -hmm basically and, and then I waited like five minutes till I could do something and then I took my turn in 10 seconds because that was the decision was easy and then I and then I spent another five minutes waiting um, and I it wasn't because the other players were distracted and talking and everything I think that for me that was maybe it was a, some a weird thing with that particular game or with Eldritch Horror versus um, Fortune and Glory, where I never felt that in that game. It's a lot quicker and more exciting to me. So what about the, how do you think people can, do, have you ever felt like, oh wait, people are frustrated that people are talking too much about, you know, what they're going to do next week or what TV show they saw, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there waiting for your turn. That has happened, but uh, I've never, I've never really found it to be a bit to be a big problem, really. It, it has been sometimes a slight frustration, like, hey, it's your turn, wake up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that has been like, I don't know, those are the odd ones out. Uh, generally, in my groups at least, we have kept uh, quite good balance. Uh, and people keep awake, and that's enough. <laughs> even if we, even if we talk about outside stuff while we're playing, we keep awake. We're playing and talking about if it's oh. the Star Wars trailer or if it's something else. But that's what I said. I keep one eye on the board, and the other eye is like kind of talking with other people about whatever. Yeah, and that's I think I think it's not really uh, uh, you don't really need to limit. Uh, in percentage, really, you need to limit your concentration. Uh, what's my concentration on the board versus my concentration on ev everything else around me? And if it's too much on the uh, Star Wars trailer, then it, it's going to be a bad gaming experience for the rest because they're, they're waiting for you. Uh, if it's too much on the board, then you're just going to sit there and stare at the board and but but it is it's still a balance. It's still a balance, but 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 less a balance of 
on the topics of your conversation and more balanced about where you put your uh, concentration and where you put your uh, energy. Because for me, it's a social experience, but it's a social experience of playing a game. And for me, that's what everyone is doing. We're playing a game. And but and also like hanging out with friends and that's cool too. But it, it's different for me. It's different than if I'm hanging out with friends at a bar or something where you know things yeah. can do, you can do anything you want. What, what do you feel about then like a game? Well, let me just say like I, I'll admit to being guilty of you know not paying attention and you know going off topic a lot and uh, and being the guy that like oh it's my turn right sorry there we go and then go back go back to being my turn. I'll admit to being guilty of that. Even as recently as Friday when we played Camel Up. Up, I say. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Maybe because I've been guilty of that a few times that I'm also more patient with it and I don't really mind. Like, for example, let's say mm. Magnus, someone we've regularly mentioned and I don't think have had on the show yet. You know, there's, very, there's often times where he, you know, drifts in and out. His concentration is not, as, not, 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 not that high sometimes. And then, you know, I'm more or less patient with it and go like, Magnus, your turn. Magnus, Magnus. Okay, there you go. And he's been, now he's back. Oh, we got him back. Okay, good. And it doesn't necessarily bother me so much. It happens, and it's, of course, uh, an inconvenience. But I wouldn't say that it's something, like, I really hate and, like, oh, God, it's a long game. Can we just, like, can we just stay in the game already? I don't I don't think I really feel that. With the long games I play, I just, I mean, if we need to because it's going too long and people are off topic, then maybe we should just break the game. We're already losing focus, and that, to me that's not that big of a deal. I mean, how how many complete games of Letters from Whitechapel have we actually played? Two. Yeah, seriously. Uh-huh. Out of the like six or seven games of Whitechapel, like I think we finished two. But that's because we 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 didn't choose the right time to play that game. We think, oh, this will only take like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I I agree with you, and and I'm a, I'm a pretty patient person too. It's just you have to be aware that different people have different uh, abilities with concentration and mm-hmm. and also um it, it, you know with with magnus i never have a, a problem with magnus i mean i've never once felt angry that you know that he's taking i mean um it's just you just know that about certain people mm-hmm. yeah. um, but i still think it's important for everyone to be aware of that to think and and i agree with you too i think if you're playing a really long game it's important to take those breaks to say we're going to take five minutes here or we're gonna go get food because then when you come back then you're kind of like re-energized to get yeah. get back into the game um but f- we, we used we used to do that a lot in our game days where we like we'd have dinner out but i think i think we all had a lot more money at the time too or mm-hmm. we're just willing to spend more so like we would play a game start a game and then like oh i'm hungry okay let's go get some takeout and then get back and then come back and eat our takeout and then get back to the game yeah but um i, I don't i don't think that there's any sort of like percentage like i just said 70 to 80 percent because it feels like that kind of you know more than like a little less than a third basically of the time should be spent on these kind of conversations can, can i ask you something then how much time do you think should be spent on the second level of conversation your, your idea is you know the three levels like first level is all like directly in game all this and stuff now my question is how much what, what level do you consider reading the rule book is that uh level one or is that level two because while in the same time it is about the game, you're still having to take out of the actual game experience to sit and read the rule book. Yeah, I think that that should be limited as much as possible. And that was probably one of the reasons why I was frustrated with Eldritch Horror. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly my fault because I, could, I, well, I had no idea I was going to play that game. I had gone in expecting 
to play one of my favorite games, Game of Thrones, but the table had already been filled before by the time I got there. So I so I was kind of disappointed because I didn't I was like super excited. I brought like even my like expansion decks and stuff to play and then I got it and I was, oh I can't play that. So Eldritch Horror okay. I played it before. It was okay. Um but anyway, so I was kind of going into it with a bad attitude, I think. But um but I still but you know, I, I I'm not knocking it. And and the people that I played with were really great. I really enjoyed the people I played with, so it wasn't that. But was there a lot of rule checking? Yeah, and that and that was a thing because that game, that game is so it it's um so so for instance you talked about Euro games where it's 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 a lot of kind of like figuring out and almost like in your head moving things around and calculating and so that kind of tires you out. For me, it's like in these more American style games like Elder Chora, it's like every single move you can make has its own separate rule. So there's like instead of in a Euro game where there's like 15 rules and in this game elder Chora, there's like 200 rules i mean it's really that drastic and so it's like every single thing is an exception there are no actual rules everything's just an exception to the non-rule so that can that fatigues me so maybe that's what you're saying and so it was it was like what do we do and like there's all this kind of uncertainty well actually i bring that up because i was going to bring up an example of uh robinson crusoe it's a it's, it's a, it was a game that you know getting through it was extremely difficult because it was oftentimes we had questions and we had to look up the rule book and then of course the rule book was not helpful in that regard and how would you feel about that situation at that level or was that a different discussion you think Cause you, mentioned, you mentioned your three levels of gaming and what level does that fall under in the hold on what the fuck are we doing here let me check this rule book because I'm not sure and then having to break that the game at the moment we're taking a pause because we need to look up a rule clarification and then that not, and then not finding it or then finding it and then making or house ruling and making a suggestion or something or reinterpreting a rule because you know finding a clear example where do you see that on your three levels i think it's a really good point and and it wasn't something i had thought about before okay. i i think it it probably is still in the in-game or you know what no now that you now that you talk you out of it it takes you out of the game yeah i think it would be on the on the table it's still about your experience it's like the same thing as like i have to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. which you know if someone goes to the bathroom and it's their turn and you're waiting for them that's a distraction Mm -hmm. and it can be kind of annoying if you're like waiting for five minutes oh it's you know johnny's turn and it says he's in the bathroom i had a lot of cheese man (laughs) yeah exactly um give up sometimes you just have to give up and try again later um, but but uh, it, that's kind of, what I said is is that the the that's fatiguing to have to always be checking the rules to learning the rules is fatiguing and that's why it's the best thing is if someone knows the rules really well has played the game at least like three three or four times and can lead people through it so yeah. so if that person is like unsure it's like oh I'm not really sure if someone has a question that also makes it fatiguing <coughs> and and that is this kind of like it's still like this on the table conversation but it like you said it takes you out of the game and it's just like and you're uncertain and then it's like ah, it kind of takes away from the enjoyment for me i'd almost say like, it seems like if for by your definition like that on that that rule book check second is like comes in at like second level but then can transition to third level because it, because yeah. once you start going into like this isn't clear to me guys what should we do like do we need to make a rules like check or something we make a rule interpretation Somebody should starts we reading the rule book and the rest can't because Go, there's only on one board, <laughs> going on boarding geek and checking because uh, there are examples of rule books that are not as well written as they should be. Robinson Crusoe is guilty of that, of course, and then other ones we've played as well. 
But when we played Robinson Crusoe, that was I've only played it that one time, and it was that was like we said, hey, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna this is gonna be a learning experience. We're gonna learn that game. Yeah, we learned it. We learned it well. I thought, and I think the rule book is actually really good for learning, like in setting up the game. But playing it, I think the rule book fails us in certain manners, and I think. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we we discussed that in that episode. For people who are interested, they can track down learning games. I think it was like four or five, I want to say. Or learning teaching games, yeah. Teaching games? Was it like three or four or five? I don't know. Yeah, it was around there. Yeah, somewhere. Um, but one thing I wanted to say is is um, I play poker quite a bit. I haven't played so much recently, but I played poker for like the last 20 years mm-hmm. or so. And that's nice. You have a big group of people. And that's a game where the rules are really simple, right? You don't have to really think about the rules unless we play dealer's choice a lot. And so there's like you, you can like kind of invent any new rules that you want, you know, mm-hmm. crazy rules sometimes um, doing auction games or doing like uh, I, my favorite is deuces, jacks, king with the axe. Those are all wild cards. And so everything gets crazy. So then it's a little bit more thinking, what should I do? But when I play poker, um, especially if, if you with a regular group of people, but if oftentimes we invite new people in. Sometimes people aren't really poker players. Um, the, a lot of the people I play with are like have PhDs in economics, um, and so they're really interested in the statistics and so forth. And, and you know, I hold my own with them, but you know, they can play with your head a little bit, like it's a social experiment. But sometimes when we have new people in that aren't, they don't play games that much, and and they don't play. They've never maybe they've never played poker. They don't even know like the order of the hands, like. Like three of a kind beats uh, two pair, for instance. You know, um, a lot of times those people can can drift off really fast into these into this off table conversations, and then all of a sudden, it's been five or ten minutes since we've actually played a hand, and that's where I'm I'm thinking that's when it starts to get frustrating to me because I go play poker because I go to socialize and meet my friends who I usually meet when I play poker. Mm-hmm. So when I play poker, it's actually probably closer to 70 percent like just about poker but it's as long as a game is moving we should be talking about everything but that's just an example of all of a sudden we haven't played a hand in like five or ten minutes and then it just starts to like what are we doing like what are we doing well i wonder what's something like poker uh, because it's all about the bluffing and trying to like guess whether or not your your opponent is actually saying something correctly or they're just trying to you know f- like bluff you into something or psych you out on something does that meta game interfere or does it does it help you know like you know like like sitting here and talking about a new trailer or a new tv episode or uh did you hear the news and, and oh have you heard about the protests and so like that does is that can that be used as a psychological aspect of like breaking someone into the game or like bluffing them or just or more or less hiding like you know you know you have a shit hand and you're like i look over to sebastian and i'm like so, oh, dude, did you hear about the protests in ferguson last week oh that's that grand jury they're, they're a load of fucking cunts aren't they and then, you know, I'm sitting down with like a hand of just jack shit, you know, but I'm trying to look confident in myself. Oh, that's totally part of the game. Mm-hmm. And especially if you've ever seen any like movies about cards or whatever, the people are doing that all the time to try to distract or to try to like intimidate other players. Uh, well, I got sick once. Sorry to interrupt. I, I, got, I got sick once and I was just lying in bed feeling like I was about to die, wishing I was dead. And I was, nothing was on TV and I watched like a poker championship and it was one of the most boring things I've ever seen because there was no one ever speaking to anyone. It was like a bunch of fat people wearing sunglasses and hats mm-hmm. with uh, with big chubby fat hands and drinking like water and Coke. and then playing cards. Yeah, Coke and water, more sugar into them. And then, you know, playing like hands and I was just going like, how is this fun? Oh God! I'm watching it. Doesn't that say something about me? 
Well, actually, I saw a, a poker tournament. I'm not sure it was a, a professional tournament in, mm. in that uh, sense, but um, they kept a bit of a banter between them. Mm. Uh, but then there was this one guy who brought a puppet <laughs> along, <laughs> a hand puppet of a duck. It's a ventriloquist. Basically, but he was a really bad ventriloquist. So he was like, just making noises, basically. And to the other players with this, it was ridiculous. And I, I that level of <laughs> distraction, I think is too much, especially in poker. I mean, yes, it's a part of the game to distract and to uh, bluff, but that was way too much. <laughs> I personally th am shocked that they're allowed to wear sunglasses and hats and stuff because <laughs> that's so much about the game is like having Look, reading people. Eyes. Yeah, and that's I think that's bullshit. Yeah. But uh, I think I have a perfect example of, of how a poker game should go is is the poker that they play in Battlestar Galactica, and mm -hmm. and the kind of meta game between Starbuck and the Colonel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's a good. I never played poker, but I'm assuming that is good. Like I said, what I watched was people with hat, sun, hat, sun, hats and sunglasses, and I'm like, <laughs> how is this a game? This is just, okay, whatever. I've never, I don't, then again, I was sick, and there was nothing else on. It was like between that, Melrose Place, and Gil, and like Golden Girls or something. <laughs> so. But that goes to the, the whole digital poker thing. It's huge, you know, yeah. people playing online. And there is like you can't read any of those signals either. So then it just becomes... Um, it's just a per percentage. It's just the statistics. Yeah. Like, what is the percentage chance of this person having a higher hand than me? And uh, and do I go for it? Or you can also say, what have they done in the past and and seen? But um, yeah. Anyways, so uh, maybe we're we're almost done here. I think. Shoot. Let Let's wrap it up. Um, so any any th final thoughts? Oh, I have one final thought. This is that different people have different kind of. Um, psychological gaming personas, right? Persona? Persona is already the plural, so persona. Um, and uh, I would say that for me, I tend to really, something about games that I like is they get my brain moving and I need that. I need that mental stimulation. And I know that for me, and so for me, I weigh a little bit more towards that, towards I want to fi not figure this game out, but that's one reason why I do like more kind of Euro-style games also, along with the other style of games too, is because I really like thinking. Like it goes back to playing chess, trying to figure out four or five moves ahead of what, what how should I do this? If I do this and that person can do that. So for me, that is fun. And I know for other people, maybe you, Andres, you think that that's just like a pain in the ass or you're not really that kind of bores you you get you it's less interesting to me yeah you don't you don't you don't have the attention for that you're you, you don't want to concentrate on that because you're you're focused on other things it's less interesting to me i care more about like let's say a story or a narrative like for example we're gonna play lords of Waterdeep next mm -hmm. and the last time i played it i didn't feel anything of a story or anything like the, the they say the word quest and they're going on quest and i'm like this doesn't feel like a quest i'm just collecting and i'm just and, and you really are but and, and so like i was much less interested in Lords of Waterdeep last time. I, when I had heard about it, and I, you know, I never played it, I thought it was going to be something much more thematic and, you know, grand. And I was just like, okay, so it's just okay. I'm just trying to collect resources of these cubes, and it was less interesting for me because of that. So I'm much more interested in like that. But well, that's a different discussion for another day. 
Uh, and then again, that really depends on the game. I mean, when it, we're talking about chess, I really want to get in the headspace of. I, I want to. I want to be in the uh, the tank. Just okay. What am I going to do next? What's what? How can I counter this mm. uh, this move? Uh, if we're talking about other games, chaos in the old world. I yeah. Then I think more table talk is okay uh, because it's not as thought uh, yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah, that's a good point uh, uh, i mean uh i can't think of a single game of chess i've ever been a part of or ever seen where someone then stops and goes like have you seen the star wars trailer or you know or have you done or, or, or you know and or anything else you know it, you're always really in that headspace of the game although if you if you know anything about bobby fisher he used to really try to screw with people psychologically like he would um not show up and then come like an hour late or something mm-hmm. and or like just go to the bathroom or like leave for a long period of time when it was his turn so his clock is ticking but he's like screwing in the heads of his opponents by doing those type of things so that is possible just like in poker you can do that mm-hmm. um i don't know but uh, i i think we had a pretty good discussion here and yeah. it's something to think about final thoughts yeah i, I think it's it's really important to think about these things when you're when you're getting a group of people together so because otherwise you can get like frustrated with people and i think maybe it could be a conversation like what do we what what is what is this here what type of experience is this um try to have a little bit more patience sometimes mm-hmm. and maybe i should try to lighten up f- yes. for a few things I've been saying that for years. You need to have patience to actually learn the rules for games before you judge them and say this game is shitty. I don't say it's shitty. I just say it's not not for me. Exactly. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's implied. <laughs> well, that is... Dude, that is taste is brilliant. I, I, I think also you can sit down as a group and say, okay, who, who, how, how are we going to play this? Do we really want to focus or do we want to do it more uh, relaxed? Mm. And that really, really depends on the game. Mm. Yep, I, th- I think so too. So, um, thanks for joining us, Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for listening to another summoning of the Chasing the Dragon Gaming podcast. And with one closing note, and keeping with the theme of this, I want to go off the topic and say that that hand guard on the Sith Lord's lightsaber is completely unrealistic. And I'm just going to throw it out there and be that guy. Yeah. It seems impractical. Seems very impractical. And I have to go to the bathroom, so goodbye. Yay!